Lord, when did we see you? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. In the study of religion, as a discipline, there are a variety of questions that every religious system attempts to give some answer to. I'll give you an example. What exactly are we talking about when we talk about the divine? What is the purpose of human life? Is there a distinction between the physical world and a spiritual world? What exactly is virtue? And how can you become a virtuous person? How can one find inner peace and happiness? How should one relate to others and to the world? How does one overcome suffering and evil? How should one engage in worship or spiritual practices? What exactly is the role of prophets? Who is a prophet? What is the role of sacred texts? And if human beings need saving, what do we need saving from? And how exactly does that happen? I'm going to answer all these questions in the next 10 minutes. <laughs> so this culture of world religions really aren't the only disciplines that seek to answer these questions in some form. There's other sciences, as it were, philosophy, the softer sciences like literature and history, sociology, and ideally, all of these subgroups seeking truth, if, if they can be in conversation with each other, then we can develop a variety of answers, not one, but a variety of answers to these kinds of questions. All of us are coming off of the Thanksgiving week, and I imagine that most of you had a gathering of family. How did family conversations go? Right, there is that sort of proverbial crazy uncle that supposedly everybody has. Is that right? Let me know later if you have a crazy uncle that everybody hopes won't say the thing. Right? I have an uncle. He's not crazy. He's a retired physician. He lives in Denver. Uh, he's been an active member, to sort of give you a picture, an active member of a Presbyterian church his whole life. Uh, Uncle Larry. When we gather together as family, Uncle Larry plays a peculiar role at these family gatherings. I think he gets bored with the proper talk. And he decides at some point that he liked to pose a big question to the entire family, all the generations. Sometimes the question is philosophical, often it's cultural, sometimes it's political. And you know that old adage, there's two topics that you're not supposed to bring up in polite conversation. There's actually more than that, but uh, religion and politics are the two main ones. Well, Uncle Larry does the exact opposite of that. I remember one year he, he got the attention of the entire room as people were gathered and he asked this question. He said, do you think that women are better off now than they were 30 years ago? And if not, why not? And if yes, why do you think that they are? You see what I mean? Right. That's a fun question, if you like that kind of a thing. But because he's an elder in the family, nobody ever tries to feel like they need to redirect. We, we play into 
this activity that he presents. And of course, his questions always have potential to go sideways, but I think everybody wants to do that version of polite conversation for our family that has the conversation but is careful. One of the questions that Larry could ask that he hasn't yet, maybe this is my job, but the question is one that could be included among those lists of questions that every religious system wants to ask, and that's this. What happens to you after you die? Right? Isn't that one of the big questions? One of the driving questions? In fact, I wonder for people who are interested in religious life, if that isn't a question that's more at the top of the list of questions that we'd like to get some kind of answer to. Different religious systems have crafted answers to that question. As many of you know, I was raised and originally ordained in the Baptist evangelical world. Becoming an Episcopal priest was my midlife crisis. That particular angle or nuance of Christianity, the evangelical culture, has over the centuries taken a very serious look at this big question. And as a result, they have formulated a variety, and I say it's a variety, it's a mix, of synthesized answers to this question. What happens to us when we die? They have taken what I want to say is a very large and mysterious and unwieldy question, and they've distilled it down to a streamlined answer, to a formula, you know, one or two or three or four formulas. And it goes something like this. Now I'm preaching. You ready? God has created a world that will hold you accountable for living into a righteous and virtuous life. You and I, all human beings, will inevitably fail to live up to that standard. God requires that the world be just and fair. And so someone is going to need to pay or atone for these shortcomings. And so God, out of his love for his creation, for you and I, is going to enter history and be embodied in the person of Jesus and will offer his own life as an atonement and a payment for sins. If you will acknowledge this gift of love for you, then you will be part of God's eternal community. Now, to those of you who, like me, grew up in an evangelical world, this sounds very familiar. Right? And again, there's a variety of different sort of distilled formulas to say those things. This is what's often referred to as the saving work of Jesus. Now, lest you think that this is uniquely evangelical, I want to invite you later on in our service to really closely follow the story that Dean Churchwell is going to tell before we break bread and drink wine together. This Eucharistic prayer, it tells this story. And it tells this story every Sunday when we gather around that table of grace and mercy. More than once, I've shared this with my evangelical friends who worry that my soul uh, may have gone down the wrong path, becoming an Episcopalian. 
they say something to me that effectively, look, you need, to, you need to share the gospel story and then you need to give people a chance to come forward and receive Jesus. To which I reply, we do that every single week. They don't buy it. Why am I telling you this? This teaching of Jesus today the story about sheep and goats and separating them really gives us a very direct answer to this larger-than-life religious and philosophical question. What is it that God requires of us? And in fact, this is the only time, the only time in all of Jesus' teaching where he's very explicit about the criteria that he will use to judge humanity when that time comes. Interestingly, he doesn't place correct belief at the center. Rather, he places kindness, a care for the vulnerable at the center. And I don't think that that means that good or thoughtful doctrine is unimportant. I certainly don't believe that or that the that living sacrificial act of Jesus that he made on the cross the mystery of that dark poetry is not essential what it means is that in the schematic of God's saving life and work Jesus is prioritizing the place where you can meet him accept Jesus and his lordship yes Understand the depth of the meaning of his sacrifice on the cross? Yes. Yes, and. Synthesize the most important aspects of the human life and its meaning. Make it practical. Observe and identify where people are hurting and scared and vulnerable and have been accused and are trying to heal and be repaired and find a way to help. Remember the story of the rich young ruler approaches Jesus and he asks the big question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, follow the teachings of the, of the Torah. And the man says, well, I, I'm, re I'm religious. I've done all those things. And Jesus says, well, here's one more thing. Go and sell what you have and give it to the poor. The teacher of the religious law comes to Jesus and says, what is the greatest commandment? Distill it down for me. And Jesus says, love God with your whole being. But there's a second one, and it's exactly like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And when you do that, you will be connecting yourself to a substantive God who embodies himself and offers himself for the atonement of the world. And when we do that, very act. We embody Jesus and we become one with him. I want to end by saying this. Let me suggest that this story that Jesus tells that is full of hope and a little bit scary, that this story actually, I think, embodies all those big questions. What is the nature of the divine? What is the purpose of the human life? Is there a distinction between the physical world and the spiritual world? What is virtue 
And how can I become a virtuous person? How can I find inner peace and happiness? How should one relate to others and the world? How does one overcome suffering and evil? How should one engage in worship and spiritual practice? If human beings need saving, from what? And how do you do that? How do you achieve unity with the divine? Hunger, thirst, a need to be welcomed, clothing, healing, and showing mercy even when the person is guilty. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.